Hey everyone, welcome to episode 15 of The True Crime Couple. This is Kay. And I'm John. And we just want to, of course, start off like we always do, thanking everyone for their iTunes reviews. We had a few new supporters on to Patreon that we'll be thanking at the end of the show. Of course, if you want to help out with our Patreon page, you could donate at patreon.com slash Couple. But if that's not for you, you could stop by and leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't done so already. And be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are the True Crime Couple. Okay, so let's get into episode 15. When we look back at crime in retrospect, it's easy to say that the entire situation could have been avoided that the brewing storm should have been so obvious for its participants to see. However, what if I told you the people in this crime knew exactly what was happening and what could happen, but they were unable to do anything about it because of the subculture they belonged to? And to make matters worse, even years after one of the most brutal domestic crimes in this country's history, the same denial of the group involved would cause yet another death. During this case, we will discuss with you the power of societal subcultures, religion, mental illness, ignorance, and forgiveness. Join us in discussing the story of Edward Gingrich, the first Amish man in United States history to be tried for murder. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another. Are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Now, in case you are unfamiliar with who the Amish are, they're considered a subculture in the United States and are easily recognizable due to the fact that they dress and live as if they were hundreds of years in the past. The Amish are a product of the Protestant Reformation in Europe. Founded in Zurich, Switzerland, a new religious group known as the Anabaptists developed a belief system to counter that of the Catholic Church and other Protestant groups during what was known as the Counter-Reformation. The Anabaptists were seen as undermining the power of the Catholic Church, and they were persecuted for their beliefs. Some were captured and tortured. Many sought refuge in places like France, Germany, and Holland, and practiced in secret. In Europe, they developed methods of farming. The most conservative of the Anabaptists became known as the Mennonites. One Mennonite, though, believed that they had become too permissive, and they must separate themselves from the sinners of society around 1693. He believed that social avoidance, or shunning these people, was the only way to serve God, and his name was Jacob Amon, and his followers became known as the Amish. Due to the persecution they felt in Europe, the Amish were attracted to the New World, especially a settlement known as Penn's Land, which would eventually become Pennsylvania. In the mid-1700s, the Amish settled in southeastern Pennsylvania in an area known as Lancaster County. Throughout the 18th and 19th century, as more and more Amish arrived, their settlements grew and spread to other areas. As the Amish arrive, they are still going to practice the way they did in Europe. They're going to separate themselves from society and they are going to practice their belief system and their set of rules the way they choose to. And today, there are around 250,000 Amish living in settlements in 28 states and Canada. I even read an article that said that the Amish are the fastest growing group in the country. Really? 
And that has to do with the fact that they don't practice birth control. I see what you're saying. And there is a lot of problems that are developing because of incestuous relationships. Not like cousins getting married, but the fact that bloodlines have crossed so many times because they're within their own communities that certain um, disorders are starting to occur within the Amish society. Oh, wow. So there are two groups within the Amish community that were established during a series of conferences held in Ohio from 1862 to 1878. There are the progressives who accept certain modern day technologies and have open communication with the English. Now, anyone who's not Amish, despite race or ethnicity, is called English. Which I find funny. Yeah, they just refer to everyone as the English. Because if you think about it, when they came, most of them being from Germany, it was the English, were the outsiders. Right. So that name kind of just stuck. And the other group is the conservative one. Now, those that have stayed more conservative are known as the old order. And that is who we will be talking about today. Those that are a part of the old order have to adhere to strict rules that dictate their everyday life. They practice the shunning or excommunication of members. Only approved business communication can happen with the English, and there's no use of any powered goods. And this refers to anything, cars, light bulbs, farm equipment, phones, engines of any sort. Other things that are not allowed in the old owner community are legal or medical institutions meaning any dispute is handled within the Amish community and decided amongst a group of elders and the person in control of an Amish community, which is a bishop. No doctors are to be seen unless it is a dire emergency. And the Amish are supposed to be considered a nonviolent people, and they have refused to fight or serve in the military in the United States. The story that we are going to tell begins when Katie Shetler's family moved to the Old Order Amish community of Brown Hill in northwestern Pennsylvania in 1983. Katie, 19 years old, her 18-year-old sister, and their parents are moving from another Old Order Amish settlement in Ohio to be closer to their father's brother. Their father's brother, Rudy, had just become the bishop of the Brown Hill Enclave. Within the Amish, especially amongst the Old Order, the Amish bishop of the community has a lot of authority. It is his job not just to give sermons and run the church, but it's also his job to ensure that all members of the community are adhering to the strict laws of the old order. It is also important to note that the religion of the Amish is similar to those who practice the Protestant faith. It is not their religion that makes the societal rules they follow, but the people. So their religion is the same as kind of any other Protestant religion, They just feel like when they live the way they do, that serves God better. Right. And don't they also believe that, you know, anything that's not, um, you know, anything that's like, you know, electric tools, any modern advancements are the work of the devil for more of like a distraction, right? Right. It's distracting them from God. They believe that all the English are sinners because they're embracing the modern technologies that have been created by the devil. Katie and her family settle quite well in Brown Hill. Katie enjoys the simplicity of the old order life and loves the fact that Amish life centers around family, church, and the tight-knit community. Katie was described as having dark brown hair and a nice smile. She was friendly, but often quiet. She kept busy with her chores as she did not know many within the community. As an Amish girl, that was her duty. Girls stopped schooling at 
around eighth grade. And afterwards, their job was to learn how to take care of the household and do farming chores to prepare them for their future as wives and mothers. Now, this is something that Katie was most looking forward to. It was safe to say that Katie was quickly blending in with daily life at the Brown Hill community. A year later, Katie is preparing for a wedding, but it's not her own wedding. Her younger sister is getting married at age 19, and this is very unsettling for the Shetlers. Katie had been passed up in marriage, and usually Amish women were supposed to be married by the age of 20. And unless Katie can find someone who wants to marry her, she's destined to never have a family and become a spinster, a title that's looked down upon amongst the Amish society. And that's also kind of looked down upon in our society. When someone's, like, not married and they're kind of older, we kind of look at them as being different. Right, like, you know. Female-wise, not male-wise. It was hard for Katie to find herself a husband in Brownhill because she had arrived when she was 19 years old. And most of the teenagers from the settlement of only 100 people had been paired up already in their early teenage years. Besides them, there were only a few unmarried men, and she had to wait for one to pick her. One of those men was Edward Gingrich. Edward had lived in the Brown Hill Enclave his whole life and came from what was known as a good Amish family. However, this opinion was had about all of those in the Gingrich family besides Edward. Edward was different. He was described as being a rebel in the Amish community, a misfit of sorts. Edward did not enjoy doing chores, working around the farm, going to church, or respecting authority. All the things required of a good Amish boys and girls. But worst of all, Edward had an interest in the outside world. He was fascinated by the technology the English had, and he dreamed of secretly being a mechanic and working on engines and driving in cars. When he went to work at his father's sawmill, he was fascinated by the little tools and technology they were allowed to use. Now, the bishop noted that Edward had an unhealthy obsession with these approved technologies that they were allowed to use. He believed this distracted Edward from God. So it seems like the bishop, Katie's uncle, kind of really wasn't getting along with Edward too well. Little did anyone know, but Edward relished the time at the sawmill when he got to interact with the English customers. According to the Old Order Law and a decree from the Bishop Rudy, their interactions with the English must only be when there is a business transaction or an emergency, which calls for use of a car or phone. But Edward didn't abide by this decree, and he would talk to English customers for hours about technology, and it's clear that Edward was really at odds with the Amish lifestyle and his religion. And that's, I guess that's normal to question the kind of world you live in, especially for someone like Edward who has interactions with the English, whereas most people in the community didn't. Right. Also, I mean, you have to think about it like this. I mean, I know you have, I know this is going to sound a little odd, but you have people who have like indigenous tribes in like South, you know, South America in the rainforest. I mean, they have no communication with the outside people, you know, and they don't feel the necessity to know anything outside of it. They don't want to. In this case, you have these transactions with you know, outside like the English, and it kind of makes them feel like, well, there must be more out there. So it's like it's it's they're, su- they're surrounded they're by surrounded it. by it. So there's like a big difference, you know? Right. And Edward, I think too, was just like a normal teenage boy. He's and curious, interested in mechanics, things like that. Definitely. 
I mean, what teenager doesn't want to know about cars and stuff? I mean, right. they see it. It's not like they don't see it. So, I mean, I, I can see where the curiosity comes from. Right. And other people may have felt the same way Edward did, but they weren't vocal about it like he was. He was also a rebel, though. Yeah. So. Now, it's for these reasons that Katie's family was hesitant for her to get involved with a man like Edward. Her uncle and father talked about this at length. In the end, it was decided that Katie, a woman with a sweet disposition and unwavering faith, could be good for a man like Edward, who seemed lost with no direction in life. In the Amish community, there is no such thing as dating. What happens is the Amish boy will visit the girl that he intends to marry at her family home. They'll spend some time together, and this is what Edward did for years. Throughout this time, Katie is tolerant of Ed's questions about religion and the Amish way of life, and she tries to kind of steer him in the right direction. And during this time, she is falling into the kind of loving motherly role that the community decided Ed needed. Unexpectedly, though, Katie does fall in love with Ed, and she tells family members that she cannot wait for his proposal. Now, Ed knows he likes Katie, and he likes spending time with her, However, he's a really reluctant groom. He knows that marrying Katie will mean he has a commitment not just to her, but the Amish way of life and all the responsibilities that follow. He knows the expectations of the community are only going to grow because as a father, you now have to have a house, have a farm, you have all these added responsibilities. This means that he's going to have to stop going to the sawmill. And those are all things he doesn't really want to give up because that's the connection with the outside world. Right. And he doesn't even know if he wants to remain in the Amish lifestyle. I mean, moving forward, these are all things that would completely get rid of any ambitions he has of, you know, outside communication. Leaving, yeah. You know, so, yeah, I can understand that. That's a struggle. Right. And it definitely is. But pressure from both families are going to push him to propose to Katie in the fall of 1986. The hope is just like in the English world, that the good woman can reform a bad man. That's what they say. That, yeah, we see that all the time. But it can never be changed. Now, the couple marries on December 2nd, 1986, in a traditional Amish ceremony. No fancy clothes, no flowers, no toasts, just Ed and Katie making a commitment to each other and to God for the rest of their lives. There's some German singing that follows. It's a, very, it's a, it's a wild wedding. Good question. Do they drink beer or alcohol, or is that forbidden? No, they don't. Oh, what the hell? Well, what do you want? I want them to have some toast, you know? They're Amish. I said no toast. Are you listening? I am listening, but I mean, come on. (laughs) Not even a beer? What the hell? This sounds like a cheap wedding. Maybe we should go for a traditional. Maybe we should do an Amish traditional wedding. (laughs) No, because I would need to drink. Me too. (laughs) The couple moves into a small house close to Ed's family members. His parents and youngest brother, to whom he is closest, live only a mile away. Ten months after their wedding, Katie, who is 23 now, gives birth to their first child, a boy named Danny. He names his son after his brother, Danny. Katie loved being a mother, but Ed showed little to no interest in being a father. It is after the birth of their first child that Katie realizes Ed is never going to grow out of the phase she thought he was in. She believed that he was going to change into that dedicated husband and father that she always wanted him to be, but it didn't seem like it was happening. But things get a little worse with Ed. And although he was questioning the Amish life, 
faith, and the commitment of marriage, he had remained his joking self until two years into the marriage. Ed's demeanor completely changes. He is now quiet and goes through long periods of silence, where he does not speak to anyone for days. He sulks around the house and sometimes cannot even get out of bed. He was described as being angry all the time. During this time, Katie's going to try and keep the house together. She prays several times a day for her husband and does all the farm and housework that needs to be done on top of caring for Danny. What Katie doesn't know, or can't really know at this point, is that Ed is showing signs of clinical depression. And this is something the Amish have no experience with. Even if he were properly diagnosed, Ed wouldn't receive the treatment he needs for his depression because of their aversion to modern medicine. The Amish only treat illnesses through herbal remedies. Mental illness is something that does not exist to them. They either believe that someone is being bothered by the devil and they must stay strong in their faith to heal themselves, or they kind of just chalk it up to that individual being weird. And that's kind of how they refer to, like, if a child is ever born with autism, that's how they describe them. Right, because they, yeah. they have no idea Right, because they don't see with. doctors. Right. They have doctors within their community. I mean, you see this close-knit society where they deal with all of their issues internally. And, right. like, all of their issues. Medical, even any type of crime that they may have. Yeah, they police themselves. Right. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I mean... I mean, these people think that throwing somebody a tea bag and uh, giving them like a like a herb off of the bush, man, fixes all their problems. I know, and so, it's not going to help them. Don't, not- don't get me wrong; a tea bag, you know, and some tea is good every <laughs> once in a while, but not enough to cure <laughs> cancer or uh, health concerns. That's true. So Katie's going to go to her uncle, the bishop, for assistance. The two believe that Ed's condition is a physical one. So, okay, get ready for this. So they are going to seek the help of a local chiropractor named Dr. Merritt Terrell. Now, Dr. Terrell also practiced what we consider as alternative medicine. And this is why the Amish in the area go to him for herbal supplements. However, as a chiropractor, he would not even be able to diagnose Ed with mental illness or depression. Okay. So they take him to this chiropractor and... After hearing all of Ed's symptoms, the doctor claims that he knows exactly what to do. Yeah, take their money. That's what he knows how yeah, to do. Yeah, of course. Ed returns to the doctor's office once a week for several months where the chiropractor is going to massage Ed's toes. Now, this is going off the belief that he's rubbing a spot that's supposed to be connected with the brain. So he's like healing his brain as he's giving him these massages. He also gives him a bottle of molasses, which is supposed to be kind of like a cure-all. Ed is supposed to drink a cup of water mixed with molasses three times a day. And the molasses is supposed to purify his blood and cure all of his ailments. Now, time out. I don't want to be the dick. But I just need to say, going to a um, chiropractor for mental illness or depression, you know, I don't think you cure that with fondling someone's toes. Um, and giving them diabetes <laughs> by drinking a shit ton of molasses. I'm just saying. I'm so sorry, guys, but I, you know, fondling people's toes and giving them diabetes that does not cure depression. Maybe, maybe the doctor was into it. Maybe. I don't. <laughs> if he's into it, then he's like hit the gold mine of like this brown hill Amish community yeah, it's like, coming. Let me get in. everyone's toes because I'm so. <laughs> I have a foot fetish. I need their toes. All right. Anyway. <laughs> okay. 
Well, of course this isn't going to work because they took a man suffering from mental health issues to a chiropractor. Yep. But in their medical ignorance, they thought that this man would be able to help. To make matters even worse, nobody even believes that Ed is sick, making life a daily struggle for both Ed and Katie. Everyone thought that Katie, the only one standing up for Ed, was making everything up. And maybe they thought this because they realized Katie was unhappy with Ed and they thought maybe this was her way to try to get away from him, but they did not believe her at all. Plus, you have to understand, too, that you're dealing with a very small, tight-knit community where everyone knows everyone and... It's kind of like, you know, I need to try to smooth this over as much as possible. Right. Because people were always talking shit about Ed. Right. And I feel like they're also two outsiders in the community. Because even though Katie's uncle is the bishop, she didn't grow up there. No. She came very late in life. Right. So she's an outsider and Ed's always been an outsider. So the fact that they got married, they're kind of like on the outskirts of this community. Right. So nobody really wants to help them. Oh, no, not at all. Despite all of the issues Ed and Katie are having, they welcome another boy into the world named Innes, and a year later, they have another child, a girl named Mary. After the birth of his daughter, Ed becomes even more withdrawn. As Katie presses him to be more and more involved in the life of the kids, Ed begins to see Katie as his captor rather than his wife. The couple begin to fight more and more. And the fights are going to turn physical most of the time. Members of the community stated later that they witnessed Ed striking Katie several times. Her family claims to have seen many bruises on her. However, in this seemingly peaceful Amish community, there is something that ha- this is something that happens too often. A wife is supposed to be submissive to her husband, whom she chooses and must accept. Even if Katie were to admit the abuse, which she never did because she was a good Amish woman, she would find no comfort within the Amish community, not even from the other women. As Ed is in a living hell in his mind, he begins putting Katie through a physical hell that she can't tell anyone about. And uh, domestic violence is a big problem within the Amish community. One, because we don't know that it happens. And two, that it's allowed. Right, no one's going to, uh, you know, if she was to voice her concerns, let's say, to other wives, that would get her nowhere. So it doesn't even no, matter. No, she would get in trouble for speaking out against her husband. Right, because, well, those are the rules. But I'm just saying, even if she was allowed... Right, the women to, wouldn't even the comfort women, her. The women even comfort her, they, right, because they, they don't want to get in trouble themselves. Right. They don't what, want to get involved. What happens is they will tell the elders. The elders will punish the woman for telling on their husband. Right. Now, in some cases that I read about, there are some Amish communities, the more progressive ones, that um, put men who are violent towards their wives or their children through kind of like what we would consider an anger management program. But this isn't something that we see in the old order Amish community. The man is the head of the household, and it's the husband that the wife chooses. Right. So Nothing you could do about it. Right. And... One of the very sad things that we'll get into later when it comes to, like, the Amish community. To get away from his house and the family that he now resents, he spends the days that he's feeling better at his father's sawmill. It is during this time that Ed becomes more and more friendly with the Englishmen. There are nights that he stays out late with them and drives around in their cars. 
so he's getting more and more kind of like ballsy with these Englishmen. Like he's going out with them now. He's staying out late. And I feel like his uh, mental illness is allowing him to do these things that he wouldn't do before. Right. I mean, because, I mean, his curiosity is peaked. Is, is peaked. It's getting the best of him. And at and this point, he feels like, what the hell? Right. You there's no, there, he doesn't need anything uh, to control him. He's just out. He's out there. He's just... He wants to see shit. He wants to experience what the rest of the world's like. And he really doesn't care about anything else. Right. And Ed is going to become particularly friendly with a logger named Dave Lindsay. Now, Dave is a born-again Christian. And he noticed that Ed had wavering faith and was questioning the Amish lifestyle. So he's going to take advantage of this situation. His goal was to convert Ed into an evangelical. Dave tells Ed that unless he renounces his church and the Amish lifestyle and becomes a born-again Christian, that he's going to go to hell. And other evangelicals that come into the mill say the same thing to Ed. They convince him that everyone within his community is wrong and is going to hell. This triggers something within him. One of his thoughts or delusions is being verified by another person. His thoughts are now justified that he was always right in questioning the Amish. When Ed tells Katie that he doesn't fully believe in the Amish church or lifestyle, she reacts very negatively. And she tells him he can never leave, he has a family and a life here, and that the devil is trying to get into his head, causing another delusion to develop within Ed. And Ed's hatred is now zeroing in on Katie the one person who's trying to help him in this whole situation. Right. And it almost seems like he's getting like this, um, not only is he, uh, you know, delusional at times, but like he has this crazy paranoia as well. Right. His paranoia is starting to develop within Ed. By the spring of 1992, 28-year-old Katie thinks things couldn't get any worse, but she's definitely wrong. Ed is going to begin hallucinating. He thinks he sees people that aren't there. There are accounts of him spitting up at his ceiling because he thinks there are red eyes staring down at him. The visions are getting extreme and he thinks that the devil is trying to take his soul because he is living within the Amish community. At one point, Ed is going to jump from a second story window and try running down his street, screaming at the top of his lungs that the devil is after him. His brother is going to have to chase him down the street with a horse and buggy to try and reach him and calm him down. I mean, what we haven't talked about yet is that Ed is a massive guy. So he is, I think he's 6'3", and he's over 200 pounds. He's a huge guy. So it's hard to subdue him when he's going through these kind of hallucinations that he feels like he's having. Yeah. The community thinks that Ed is being punished for his questioning sinful ways. And if you become sick like this, they feel that it must be a spiritual problem. Ed's most violent incident took place when he was doing the chores one day. He began ranting and throwing around farming equipment. It took seven men to hold him down and get him under control. They believed that he was touched by the devil. And although it's against the rules, this is considered an emergency and 911 is called. Emergency medical services take Ed to the nearest hospital. And after days of testing and observation, the professional medical staff diagnose Ed with paranoid schizophrenia. That explains a lot. It does explain a lot. And this actually is something that is going to develop around this time in your 20s. And I guess signs of it were seen through his clinical depression. And then now it's advanced to a paranoid schizophrenia. And that's very scary. It's a scary thing to deal with 
in our world. It's yeah. a serious illness that takes a lot of treatment and a lot of um, time making sure that treatment is right. But now this is a man who is diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia that lives in an Amish community where modern medicine isn't allowed. That's true. So there's he's basically set up to fail. Pretty much. I mean, like I said, that's scary. I mean, all these people think the devil's coming for his soul because he's not committing, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, trying to abide by the rules. Right. And this has nothing to do with it. He's paranoid schizophrenia, and he's also extremely paranoid about everyone around him. So it's just a recipe for disaster. It is. In that sort of community. Right. Now, the doctors are going to explain this illness to Katie and to the bishop. They tell them that with the right medication, Ed can be controlled and the hallucinations will stop and the paranoia should calm down. Although it was not allowed to use modern medicine, the bishop, knowing how dangerous Ed seemed and because he was married to his niece, is going to decide to let Ed take the medication. So I thought that that was really interesting. So did I. I mean, because they're extremely strict and for them to allow medicine... Like, you know, modern medicine to come back with them. The situation must have been dire. This is, yeah, the situation must have been incredibly serious. And I really think the bottom line was he was looking for the, looking out for the safety of his niece. I think so, too. I mean, I really think that's what it was. Because it does seem like a very, very strict community. Think about it. Any family member with strict rules like this would have broken them to make sure that she was safe. Right. You know, to keep him under control and medicated so and nothing happens And the three children to her. Now And the children too. as well. So, I'm sure I played a big part. Yeah. However, the medicine is going to have side effects. On the medication, Ed becomes very lethargic and he cannot think straight. He describes it as always being in a fog. Although the medication stopped his hallucinations, they did not stop him from feeling paranoid. This is why the treatment of a paranoid schizophrenic is so difficult. The medicine gets rid of the hallucinations, but leaves the patient with the symptom of paranoia. And on top of this, they are left feeling like they're in a zombie-like state at all times on the medication. Therefore, their paranoia creates the idea that they are being drugged or poisoned, and then they stop taking the medication that's helping them. Which happens to a lot of people, not just Ed. Right, a lot of people. But, of course, we could see why, especially in a community that is weary of medicine to begin with, that the second he starts saying, I don't like taking it, they're going to be like, yep, you're right, let's stop. Right, because what I'm actually the most surprised about in this particular um, area of the story is that he was already sent to the hospital to be diagnosed. They sent him back with medication. And even though I understand that they're Amish and they, they have very strict guidelines and rules, he should have been – there should have been follow-up appointments with doctors and specialists on the medication that he was taking to get rid of his um, visions, you know, his, his hallucinations. Yeah, and his paranoia. You know what I'm saying? I think they probably did have or tried to set that up, but I don't know See, how See, I don't much. think they did because – like you said, as soon as they said, oh, you're, you're feeling, oh, this sort of way from side effects, oh, stop taking it. Because all of them No, don't not them. It. I mean the medical professionals probably tried to set up Oh, you're other saying that they tried to set up and they kind of didn't... And, yeah. I, well, I yeah. think they probably said we're allowing the medication to come through. That's enough. 
which that's not true. Because of with any not. medical professional, when they hand out medication, there are always follow-up appointments. Yeah, because you have to see if that dose of medication is working there the right way. Che- there needs to be checkups, especially with mental illness. Right. So. so, noticing his side effects, Ed and Katie are going to go see the bishop and the elders on the council. They agree that this medication is no good and Ed stops taking the medication that is prescribed to him. Quickly, though, all of Ed's symptoms are going to return. He begins withdrawing into his own world. This is all made worse by the fact that on the days that Ed does feel better, he goes to work at his father's sawmill. Seeing Ed's unsteadiness, the Evangelicans that go into the mill intensify their conversion methods especially Dave Lindsay. These men, not knowing that Ed was mentally ill, thought that they were making progress. And believing that they were on the verge of converting Ed, Dave and another customer are going to sit Ed down for what they call a serious talk. Wow. Yeah. They tell him that he has to leave immediately or he's going to hell. And when he replies that his wife is making him stay... The men tell Ed that his wife then is responsible for sending him to hell. And this is the statement that makes the connection in Ed's mind between Katie and the devil. Like, oh my god. So I think that these men, although in a lot of documentation it states that they didn't know that Ed was mentally ill, I think that from all the accounts that we hear, And the fact that he wasn't taking medication, there is no way that they did not know that this man wasn't mentally sound. I mean, you have to have some wherewithal to know. Like, you have to spot something out of the ordinary. There had to have been a change within Ed that they had seen. They knew him for a long time. And I think that the problem at the base of this whole entire situation and crime is this uh, religious fever. That's Yeah. Well, he's being pulled in two different directions. Right. The intensity of the born-again Christians and the intensity of the Amish community and both of their intense faiths put together is kind of like a perfect storm when Especially it comes with his condition. to someone who's paranoid, schizophrenic. Right. Correct. That's already questioning and, and not feeling safe in his environment or not knowing which way to go. This is kind of like pushing him towards the delusions that he thought were to be true. You know what right. I mean? Well, it, it, it painted this picture that his wife was not only, uh, you know, the devil. <laughs> um, but, but, but keeping but him. But keeping him. It, yeah, right. And hit her being responsible for him going to hell. Right. So these guys use these, they use scare tactics. To try and convert to him. To try to convert him. Yeah. And... What's sad is the way that these men are acting is the whole reason why the Amish stay closed off and don't like interactions with the English. So it's kind of like you're proving their point, and then that's going to stop further communication between the Amish and the English when it comes to serious matters such as mental illness or domestic abuse. Right. Because there's this bad example. I'm sure they all learned a valuable lesson after this. Yeah. Well, all the while, while Ed is now making the connection in his mind to Katie being the devil, Katie is actually at home taking care of the house, three kids, the daily chores, supporting and praying for her abusive, mentally ill husband. Katie always remains loyal to Ed. And all of these events are going to come together for a perfect storm on March 18th, 1993, the day after Katie's 29th birthday. 
In the morning, around 7 a.m., Katie returns from doing chores, only to find Ed going through one of his hallucinations again. However, this time, he seems to be in a catatonic state. Unable to do anything herself, she asked the nearest English neighbor if she would be willing to drive them to see the chiropractor again. She agrees, and the English woman, whose name is Kimberly Kersetter, picked them up at around 7.30 a.m. She describes Ed as being completely zoned out and not himself at all. The doctor claims that he cannot do anything and the couple returns home, still without a cure. Later that day, there was to be a wedding within the community. Due to the state Ed was in, Katie told him to stay at home, that he was too sick to attend. Katie telling Ed that he couldn't go to the wedding is going to trigger him. He suddenly began yelling that everyone was excluding him from the community, and he began wandering off down the road. Sometime later, Ed is going to come back, and he falls asleep on a small cot in their living room. When Ed awakes again, he walks into his kitchen. He finds Katie standing at the sink doing dishes. He walked right behind her, and as she turned around, he punched her in the face so hard that she fell immediately to the ground. Katie, aware that her six-year-old son Danny was in the room, yelled for him to go run and get help. The boy ran out of the kitchen as fast as he could, starting the mile run that it would be to his uncle's house. Katie is now left with Ed and her two toddler children upstairs. Ed thinks he is left alone with the devil and must get rid of him. After Ed punches Katie again, leaving her helpless on the floor, he goes out to the porch. It is then that he puts on his high-top working boots and goes into the house. Ed stomps on Katie's head until half of her skull is gone. Brain matter and blood cover both him and the kitchen. It is at this time that his brother gets to the scene. He runs into the house and sees his brother standing over Katie's lifeless body, soaked in blood. Dan, Ed's younger brother, says later that he could see the devil himself next to his brother. Ed looked at Dan and in a threatening way began walking towards him. And to save his life, Dan runs to the nearest English house to call 911. At 4.20 p.m., the state police receive a call that a violent crime is taking place within the Brown Hill Amish settlement. As cruisers approach the scene, they see a tall man walking down the road that leads into the settlement. At a distance, it can be seen that he is leading one child, a small boy by the hand, and he is holding an even smaller little girl. As the car shines its light on the man, they see that he is covered head to toe in blood. It even soaks his beard and hair. The children are also covered in blood. Ed was immediately handcuffed and put in the back of a police car. They then rush to the house to see if Katie can be saved. In the house, they find Katie on the kitchen floor. As Dan had saw, her skull was smashed to pieces. It appears that after Dan ran out of the house, Ed had taken a butcher knife and cut his wife from the bottom of her neck down to the pit of her stomach. And he then neatly pulled out every internal organ and stacked them neatly next to her body. The first EMS responder on the scene had to run out of the house because they were going to vomit immediately upon seeing the scene. Responding officer Lon Pierce will comment that he didn't even think that he was looking at a human being. All that they saw at the scene still haunts them today. Ed is then taken to county jail and interrogated. The detectives want to try and get a full confession out of him. However, Ed has no recollection of what happened. He just keeps talking about the devil and saying over and over again, 
For some reason, I think we can still save her. The police need to keep telling him that his wife is dead and there's no way she can be saved. He kept telling the officers that there was a war going on between the Lord and the devil and that Katie had to be killed because she was the devil. Although his confession is erratic, the police believe it's enough to charge him with murder, and they do so, but he then is transferred to a mental institution for a mental health evaluation. After evaluations, Ed lawyer Don Lewis checks in with Ed. He stated that it was in that time that Ed finally understood fully what had happened. He said that he was extremely remorseful and was holding on to a piece of his wife's clothing. That's something I really don't know if is true. I think that's more just to, like, show that Ed was remorseful. But I don't know. I don't see how he could have gotten a piece of Katie's clothing. Yeah. I mean, it, it also is not... It, it's also not um, very descriptive as to what piece of clothing it was. Yep. Well, he said it was her dress. Right. But, I mean, she's not holding her entire dress. Right. I, it's you know very I mean? strange. Ed Gingrich was the first Amish man who had ever been tried for murder in the United States. This is the first time the country has seen extreme violence come out of a subculture that was supposed to be nonviolent. No one ever thought that it was weird because... No one ever thought it was weird that the Amish policed themselves because we thought they lived in peace. Right. And this trial is going to put the Amish... Not only Ed on trial, but the Amish settlement on trial. And we're going to see that maybe the Amish community isn't what we think it is. You can't tell me that until 1993, not one murder happened in an Amish settlement in the whole country. That's not true. I mean, they do police themselves. And it's very easy for them to, let's say, cover something up that they don't want other people from the outside to see so that i think is scary in itself that we have entire communities at this point living in 28 different states policing themselves completely because they have especially the old order a strong distrust of not just the english but the english police well they're not the only ones there's other subcultures that police themselves that's true that do their own thing (laughs) You know, I mean... Um, so there's I, no I, type of justice or protection for victims in this case? No, not in subcultures like this. No, it's not. It's not something that they do. Um, I mean, I don't know enough about them, but I know there's certain Native American uh, yeah, subculture groups that are the same way. Um, they have distrust of, you know, absolutely, American police. Which I don't uh, disagree with. Disagree with. Um, so, you know, yeah, you have the same thing here. So, it's just interesting because now this is the first time that... Well, it's something that's on record. And it had to be, if anything, it had to be the worst case of someone doing this in their... That's true. You know what I mean? This is, this is a case of extreme violence. And I'm not saying that there's cases of extreme violence like this all over the place. But definitely domestic abuse, maybe even accidental murders, maybe right. even... And we don't know what the decision is on these cases. We don't know what's happening to the victims of these cases or the perpetrators of these crimes. I mean, even it's very something, interesting. Even something as simple as this, where someone gets shunned and they're not allowed to come back to the community, right? Right, that's their whole life. Who's, who's to say 
that there hasn't been someone somewhere in the subculture, you know, communities that flip out from being shunned and they come back and they try to kill uh, somebody of importance. That's true. I'm not saying that you it's happened, that but happening. I mean, that's just one specific case where like, that's an example of, okay, well that would be a reason for someone to act out and do something right. wrong. And that's what we're just talking about violent crimes. But what about, what about property crimes? What about Any robberies? Crimes. What about like, you know, how, like, we how have, is that being policed in these communities? Like we have no idea. We don't, we have no idea. Like another, here's another thing that, you know, it just, it comes right off, you know, the tip of my tongue here. I mean, I guess the Amish, Ma- Amish mafia pretty much told us a little bit. Oh my God. <laughs> that show's so ridiculous. That but, was one of my favorite shows. I know. And I really want TLC to bring it back. I know you Please. do. It was so good. Maybe you should I make loved a petition it. and make people sign it. My favorite part was when like he got really mad and went into the guy's basement and like smashed all of his milk containers. I, I will say this: my favorite one is when they had the drag race. Yes, the buggy drag race. So, like yeah. you know, guys, since they don't have cars, we're obviously it's, using horses. It toppled but over. It's, the uh, buggy. it's pretty intense, I guess. But yeah. I don't know if that's staged. But anyway, another thing is like think about other things like in society where like we don't. Um, you know, we don't, uh, it's against the law for someone to kill someone, even if they're dying, we can't just go and kill them. You know, maybe they're like that. Maybe they do that. You Correct. know, like we don't know anything about their society. It's very interesting. And, 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 you know, for them, rightfully so, they don't want anybody to know anything. Right. So this big case of Ed Ginrich is a big deal to their, to their community. Right. Because Probably now to this day. Yes. They, the Brown Hill community after this went down. Um, is going to be only a shadow of what it once was because most people are going to leave because they don't want to be associated with... Well, it's the notoriety of it all. Yeah. So reporters and newscasters are going to rush into the Brown Hill settlement and the Old Order Amish are going to immediately shut down completely. They wouldn't even cooperate with police for the investigation. But that's normal because they have a strong distrust of the police. And in March of 1994, a year after the attack, the trial is going to begin. The jury must determine Ed's mental state during the murder, and the prosecution will claim that he knew what he was doing every step of the way. The defense argues that he was insane at the time of the crime. Now, the prosecution is going to put a lot of pressure on the fact that Ed had a long history of domestic violence, and he felt like he was a captive in his home and he wanted to be born again and the only person holding him back was Katie. And they also are going to stress the fact that Ed punched Katie, then left, put his shoes on, and then came back and stomped her face in. So, like, it's not what we could say is, like, there was, like, a heat of the moment, kind of, I just killed her, wasn't in the, I wasn't the legal definition of insane. He thought about this. Well, I think it's, I think it was, he did this crime in a fit of rage, in my opinion. I mean, just because, listen, he punched her in the face really hard. She went down to the floor. Just because he ran out to the porch, Mm -hmm. put on his boots, and came back. That's still, like, you're in the moment of, like, this fit of rage. He put his boots on because he figured, I'm going to do maximum damage right now. He flipped out. He's not thinking. Like right. I said, it's a fit of rage. You slip your boots on because you know you're going to kill that person. And then after, it's overkill after that. You're ripping her apart, pulling all her organs out. It's a fit well, of rage because you think, think she's still alive. I think that the stomping definitely showed rage. But I don't think that he did this in a fit of passion or fit of rage i think that 
he had the delusion that she was the devil. And he punched her in the face. He carefully got on his boots. He stomped her head in. And he cut her and pulled out all of the organs and stacked them neatly next to her. I think he thought Katie was the devil. And that he was looking for a sign of something within her body to either prove that she was or that she wasn't. I think he did this in a calm way because he truly believed that she was the devil. Like, this was his delusion. There's parts that are missing as far as, like, what we think could happen. That's true. But this, actually, I'll just say this. Maybe this might bring a little light to the listeners and maybe for you as well. What if he ripped her organs out and neatly stacked everything in an attempt to bring her back? Like, he rid the devil inside her. And then he was going to try And then he was going to try her. to put her back. Because when they were trying to get the confession that he did this, he kept saying that, like... I you think know, we I, could we, still I save her. I think we could say, still save her. Meaning, he, like, got rid of the devil out of her. And then tried to save and her. And then tried to save her. I know that's insane. And I'm not no, saying I, that... But um, this is an insane man that we're talking right. about. So, like... I think that in the moment, yes, it was a fit of rage. He's like, this is the devil. We have to kill her. And he killed her. And then after, then you're right. What you said, Kay, is that after the fit of rage and he knew that she was out for the count. He was trying to save her. He meticulously took all the organs out in an attempt to bring her back to life in some crazy way. No, I see But I think the actual killing part that the devastating blows to her head that actually ultimately killed her. That was That was all a fit of rage. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. So maybe that's no, something that I do could think be. that he tried to save her. Because in remember, his mind. you have different religions mixing together. He's confused. He's right. sick, mentally sick here. So there's there's a lot of things. It's a, it's it's like this big pot. It's brewing. So right. And during Ed's trial, many doctors are going to testify that Ed was properly diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and that at the time of the murder. This was untreated, and he wasn't taking his medication. Ed is going to spend most of the trial with his head down on the table, sobbing. The defense rests, saying that Katie is now at peace, but Ed will never be at peace, inferring that he'll always be a prisoner in his own mind. I agree that Ed was mentally ill, but I really thought that was kind of like in poor taste of the defense to say, because I don't think that Katie... I know Katie in death is probably now at peace, but she for years was tortured. I think it's just the term that's loosely thrown around. I don't... I, I know. I, I get what you're saying. I know. Saying. I just don't like the fact that they kind of like... They made Spoke him about like the was, victim that way. I agree. Like he was the victim. Like they painted him as the victim. Right. Due to his uh, delusions and, and all... You know. Right. Which he is. He's a, he's a victim to his mental illness. But the true victim in this case is, is Katie, who stood by her husband, who was physically abusing her, mentally ill, and was the victim of this horrific crime. The only thing... She was also a victim to the Amish community for them not stepping in. I understand completely. But once again, we're dealing with a community that really has the... They do not have the same standards as us. And they are all used to this sort of abuse. I'm not saying... I'm not going to say, because I have no idea, that this is happening in every single household across the Amish community. But I'm just saying that this is not something that is out of the ordinary. Right. No, I I know. I get what you're saying. And 
After everything is said and done, the jury determines that Ed Gingrich was guilty of involuntary manslaughter, but was mentally ill at the time of the crime. Now, this decision reached was very controversial, and that's because the maximum sentence that comes with the conviction is five years in prison. Many believe that this was not enough time for the horrendous crime committed. The police are going to state that if you took one look at that crime scene, you would never want Ed Gingrich to enter society again. He's a violent and dangerous man. In prison, Ed is going to receive proper treatment for his condition, and he's going to come to a full understanding of the crimes he committed. He was very concerned during this time that God would not forgive him for what he had done. He wrote letters to his family and children, and he even wrote a few letters to the bishop asking for his forgiveness. The bishop, however, doesn't return any of Ed's letters and obviously does not forgive him for what he had done. Ed is released after serving the maximum time, five years in prison, and I thought it was interesting that he went to prison and he didn't go to a mental health institution. I'm sure that they're... He did get proper treatment, but I just feel like he could have done better in a facility. Maybe. I would but think. it's possible that maybe he was extremely violent in the beginning, maybe. Yeah. And they just felt like maybe a prison atmosphere could be better. Right. With medication Treatment. and uh, supervision. Right. So when Ed gets released, he hopes to return to the community from which he came. It was the only life that he knew. However, when he returned to the Brown Hill community, he learned that the bishop had issued an order within the community that all ties with Ed must be severed. Ed was now shunned from the only connection to the world he had. With no place to go, Ed travels to an Amish community in Michigan. However, once he gets there, they tell him to stop taking his medication. And they give him herbal supplements for his mental illness instead. So we're just getting right back on that roller coaster again. Right. How friggin' insane is this? I think these people... Listen... Okay, they don't believe in it. I know, but based on... They did know about Ed's past. They knew about what he did. Right. Not but, on the medication. Right, but it also ties back into the only reason why he was allowed to take the medication in the first place was, the first time right. was due to the connection between the bishop and the niece. True. So Ed's symptoms are going to quickly return, and he relapses into his illness, and he turns violent on the community. He doesn't hurt anybody, but he just has violent episodes of hallucinations, much like he had in the beginning in Brown Hill. Ed is banished from the Michigan settlement. Knowing Ed needed their help, Ed's brothers are going to defy the bishop and allow him to return to their property on the outskirts of the Brown Hill settlement. This gives Ed much comfort, and he begins taking his medication again. And while he's there, his sons, who are now 22 and 18, even defy the bishop themselves and sneak away to see their father. But Mary, his daughter, who is now 17 years old, who was said to look exactly like her mother, refuses to do so. Bringing Ed back to the community means that his brothers and their family are now shunned as well. Ed and his brothers want Ed to see Mary again, and they believe that he should because he's her father. And he wants to explain to her what happened and how sorry he is. But they kind of do something a little messed up here. They hatch a plan to kidnap Mary. 
and Mary's kidnapped by her uncles and taken to a remote hunting cabin where her father is waiting to speak with her and explain everything. But she was afraid of him, and she refused to speak. Meanwhile, the bishop heard what was going on and called the police, because at the time, Mary was living with um, her grandparents, so that would be Rudy's parents as well, the bishop's parents. So when they don't know where Mary is, they're going to immediately question Ed's brothers, and then they obviously aren't going to lie, and they say where Mary is. She's with her father. Really quickly, I just want to say one thing. For a community... Uh, not well, not just the community, but just you know, Am- the Amish people in general, right? To have such an like, they do not trust the outside English people. For them to very quickly call up the police is is kind of funny. Like I understand it's like emergencies. I, I get feel that. Like they're yeah, but like they've reached out to police multiple <laughs> so times, many times just on Ed's behalf here, basically just because of him. Yeah. So like. They are so distrusting, but at the same time, as soon as there's an issue with someone there, they need the, they need the police. Right. So, you know, like, they, they shit on the police, but they need, they them. need them. So, right. it's just very odd. That part of it, to me, is very weird how yeah. that's something that's acceptable, but only when it's in dire, you know... Yeah, I know what you're saying. It was kind of rude that when the police were then investigating the murder of Katie, that they weren't helping whatsoever. Right. Yeah. It's only when it's, you know... Convenient for them. Exactly. So, after the police are called, they're going to rush to the cabin and arrest Ed. And they take Mary safely back to her grandparents' house. Ed is going to plead guilty to the charge of concealing the whereabouts of a minor, and he is sentenced to six months probation for this. After this event, the bishop is going to make a deal with Ed's family. They will be unshunned if Ed leaves. And Ed tells his family that he wants to leave because he can't stand them being punished for something that he did. Ed now has nowhere to go. He couldn't be in the Amish world and he couldn't be in the English world with his limited education and criminal record. He essentially is a man without a country. Ed gets in contact with a lawyer that used to represent him. His name is George Shrek. George allowed Ed to stay on his farm which was also in Pennsylvania, so he didn't leave the state. Um, that was a that was because of his probation. So, like, that's how he was able to reach out to this lawyer because he helped him represent him again with his probation, with the um, concealing the whereabouts of a minor. He said that while Ed was on his medication, he was not visibly psychotic and that his illness was contained. But he did say that Ed did appear to be deeply depressed. And this could be... Co- be because Ed stopped taking his antidepressant medication. So it seemed like he was on a litany of medication here. And one day, George is going to go out hunting, and Ed was feeding the horses in their stalls. Only Ed didn't come back after a few hours, so George's wife is going to go out to the barn and check on him. And that's where she found Ed Gingrich hanging in the barn. His suicide note was a few words drawn into the dust of an upturned horse feed bucket. He wrote, please forgive me. The Amish of the Brown Hill Settlement allowed Ed to be buried in the settlement next to his wife, Katie. It was only in death that he was allowed to return. It's pretty sad. It is pretty sad because not only did they not step in, not saying that Ed isn't to blame for this or his mental illness isn't to blame for this but the they didn't step in and help katie 
when she was in such a horrible situation trying to take care of her entire house, her three children, and her mentally ill... And she was being physically abused by this man as well. If they would have just stepped in... I know. And And it's And it's sad, but this is the community that they live in. These are the rules of where they live. I, I, I get that. I think the biggest problem here was that they were ex- the doctors explained to the bishop and to his wife what was wrong with him, right? Right. They prescribed medication to combat his mental illness. Right. Okay. He the bishop allowed them to take it back and for him to take it. This is what happens when someone is on drugs for an illness and then they just go off of it. You can't be on and off, on and off constantly, That's true. and especially you have to with be... mental illness. So, you also have to be seeing a psychiatrist. Right. You also have to be seeing a doctor to help it monitor wasn't your doses. It's true. It, was it wasn't not treated, treated correctly. correctly. And their mistake was once he came back to civilian life, from you know, you know, while he after he got out of mm-hmm. prison, there was no help get him back on track. No, yes, there wasn't. he did go back to another community that told him to go back to molasses and and and, and funneling his toes. And that didn't help. So yeah, that's not that's not what I'm talking about. What should have happened was went back, stayed on his medication like he was in prison. Mm-hmm. Get back in either whether it was back in his old community or something else that was productive. He just never had a support system. No, his only support system was Katie. But there's only so much she could. And do. And I believe that even though he, even though his lawyer had him you know, in a good state of mind and, you know, at least he had something to do with all his free time by taking care of the horses in the barn and everything. I think that ultimately what made him commit suicide was that living with all the guilt, you know, realizing that he really did have an issue and it came full circle. Well, wait, let's not even get to his suicide yet. Let's talk about just the crime with Katie. Well, yeah. I mean, because there's so much more that went into that. It wasn't just the Amish that are to blame. It's also the the born-again Christians that came into the scene. Yeah, well, that was my next rant, but yes. Well, go on that. Don't get ahead of yourself. I know. I do that a lot. Sorry, guys. Anyway, but I mean, look, everyone has beliefs. Everyone is entitled to those beliefs. My personal opinion is you do not force religion on other people unless they are completely willing you know, to hear it. To hear it. I, Especially someone in a vulnerable state like he was in. Correct. And you can't tell me that he looked sound of mind. No way. No way. And I don't care if he looked like he was on the verge of being converted, which I think is like ridiculous. I think it's just BS. I think it's grown men preying on the vulnerability of a young teenage boy, and they made it into a sport. Of trying to get into this this guy's mind. They have... I, I don't want to say this because I know there are born-again Christians out there. A lot. A lot of born-again Christians there that... You know, I don't want anybody to get the wrong Maybe impression. Maybe even listening. Thank you. <laughs> I, I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression. I just feel that, you know, I know that everyone is, you know... These people have very strong beliefs as well. Yeah. And I know that, you know, when they see someone that... Doesn't don't share the same beliefs, or you know maybe they are troubled. They 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 revert to trying to 
force it upon them. And right. it's like, if you don't do it, oh, uh, I You're can't hang out with you or I can't be around you. Right. And, the, and this was Ed's connection to the English world. So he wanted to kind of please these men to keep hearing about it and keep going for rides in the truck and keep like this was his connection to the outside and he didn't want to lose that and maybe he felt if he shut them down that he would lose that from them and 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 you know i'm not a big um religion person as far as you you don't want to upset the you know the wrong people you know you don't uh i just i've had my own run in with you know evangelicals correct and i they were great people always treated me with the utmost respect but a lot of it you know the one issue was they always wanted me to convert you know right and i don't like that they try to make you convert when you already have an established religion you know i was catholic i was born catholic i was raised catholic but um you know i i had a lot of friends that were born again christians at my school and you know their parents would try to convert me all the time, and it was it was not a good it wasn't a nice thing that they did when they knew I had a religion already. And the right, same thing goes right. for him; he's well, part of the Amish community. Well, especially like and and it's very similar in the fact that it's an age range. Yeah, yeah, they they you do know? it because it's uh, when you're a teenager. This is the most influential part time, of the time yeah. in your life. So I mean, that is not right. It's almost preying upon somebody. Yeah, and I think also it didn't help that he didn't feel like he was a member of his Amish settlement because he was an outsider to them. I think that a lot of this could have been solved if they would have just made Ed feel included. Someone. Because what triggered him? What triggered him was Katie saying, don't come to the wedding because you're sick. And what did he say? I'm being excluded. His whole life he feels excluded. I think that it goes... Well, I think that was just his trigger. I think, I think it was that, that was his trigger again. too. But I also think that this is a young adult who is very curious about, you know, the English and their way of life. Right. I think that he was very intrigued. He wanted to be a part of those things. And then you have his wife and his family kind of pulling him in another direction. And then you have the born again Christians here pulling him, you know, another way. An- another way. This was when a guy he already being has. Uh, mental delusions. Yeah. He has hallucinations. He's and he's paranoid. He's confused. And saying whether it was the Amish or whether it was the evangelicals saying that you're going to hell is something that's going to horrify someone that of has course. paranoid schizophrenia. Of course. And he knows nothing else other than what he's been taught. Right. You know, I, I almost get this weird feeling like, uh, you know, we can go back in history, like with the Salem witch trials and everything. All they have to say is, oh, this person's a witch or that's the devil. And then all of a sudden, you know, yeah. he's going to go kill his wife because he thinks uh, that he's been basically well, those are the delusions that are being put in his mind. Correct. And I, I feel like when it comes to Ed's suicide and the fact that the Amish are supposed to be. Um, follow the Bible to exactly what it says. That a man who is trying to redeem himself in the eyes of God should be forgiven. And they never allowed Ed to try and work towards forgiveness, I think. And when you let someone work towards forgiveness, that that shows the fruits of a forgiving church, which is what the Protestant church is supposed to be. 
So now taking that away from Ed is what's going to cause his suicide. So even if we can say that maybe they're not directly responsible, which I think they are for the death of Katie, they are in fact directly responsible for the suicide of Ed. I like everything you said. You know, I do. But it comes down to one thing, and that is what I said before when he was first diagnosed. It has everything to do with the bishop and the connection yeah. to the family. Well, the bishop has had has not been a fan of Ed from before his marriage to Katie. Well, that's what I'm saying. And I think he loved, not loved that this happened, but I think he loved that he had an excuse to shun Ed from the well, Brownville yeah. settlement. Listen, it's easy to say, oh, with open arms, you know, uh, the whole community forgives you and God forgives you. It's easy to say that. And believe that. But that's what it says in the Bible. If they're going to follow the Bible to a T, and it says God forgives all, well, no. You know, like I said, it but it has to do with the bishop. I know. It's easy to say it, but to carry it out is a whole different thing. And I think that when he he lost his niece, right to a to Ed, there was already hatred there. Brutally, brutally. There's already hatred there, and he brutally murdered her. Yeah. There's no forgiving. It's, It's easy to say that, but for him, internally. No, I can't say happen. that I would... This is me not putting myself in the shoes of the bishop. Because I don't think that if someone brutally murdered a member of my family that way, that I could ever forgive them. So that makes it difficult. But I just feel like if this is a society based around community, family, and the church, they haven't shown any of these things. Yeah. They haven't shown that they're built around a community because the first thing they did was make someone who was a little different feel excluded from everything. Not based on the church because they're not forgiving Ed and not based on family because his family. Why didn't he care when Katie was getting abused by Ed? Right. Where was he then? Is it safe to say for both of us that he was just set up for failure? Oh, yeah. Ed was set up for failure. Katie was set up for failure. All parties involved. They were yeah. all set up for failure And I in feel situation. like it's a shared responsibility between Ed's mental illness, the community in which they lived, and the interactions with the evangelicals, I believe, too. I think it was like a combination of those three things that are going to lead to the death of Katie. It was, the, it was a perfect storm. Yeah, it was the perfect storm. Yeah. It was. All right, guys, we would love to know what you think. So if you could reach out to us on social media, on Instagram or Twitter at the True Crime Couple, or you could send us an email, truecrimecouple at gmail.com. If you have any episode suggestions that you want to give us, you could do that as well. And don't forget, if you haven't done so already, please leave us a review on iTunes and let us know how we're doing. Yeah, guys, and on social media, uh, hit us up for, uh, you know, on this episode. We'd love to hear your opinions. Yeah, we want to know what you guys think. And um, we will see you again in two weeks for our next episode. But next weekend, we're going to release another episode on Patreon. So if you're a member of our Patreon, you'll definitely hear that episode. And again, we just want to take the time to thank all of our Patreon supporters, Maria Almedia. Lisa Pincher, Valerie Castro, Angela Stiles, Melanie Link, Justin Tinkman, Kathy Rodnight, and Steve Meyerson. Thank you guys so much, and we couldn't do this without you. Again, if you want to help out with Patreon as well, you could do that at patreon.com slash couple. 
All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Bye, guys.